Here's the rock. Good evening, everyone. This is Rugby Reg, and this is Green and Gold Rugby Podcast, episode 200, would you believe it? 200, back on the 4th of November 2010, was our very first podcast. Takes us back. That was uh, the week after we beat the All Blacks in that famous test at Hong Kong with James O'Connor's uh, try, and I think he kicked the conversion as well. So a long time ago, and 400 episodes later, here we are again. Oh, 200 episodes later. Seems like 400 <laughs> sometimes. Um, back hosting the show back then was Matt Rowley and, and Matt joins us tonight. In fact, Matt's uh, as a, a very special feature tonight we're going to throw to pretty much straight away has uh, done a, a great interview with uh, the one and only Bob Dwyer when he threw around guests of who he wanted on this special episode. Bob, who's been a part of Green and Gold Rugby for uh, a, a significant amount of time and, and was one of our, I think, podcast guests in that first year, was a natural name that comes up. So why don't we go straight to that interview and then we'll be back with the rest of the club crew after this to look back and what has been a massive week of uh, rugby in Australia. So here we go to uh, Matt Gagger and uh, Bob Dwyer. And uh, Well, it's a very special welcome to a man who's been with us well, since the early days, since actually I just checked back and his first post was in August 2010. So it's very apt that we should have um, as a guest on our 200th podcast is none other than Bob Dwyer. Bob, how are you, mate? I'm very well, Matt, and thanks for having me. I oh, know. Well, thank you for uh, everything you've put into the site over the years. Um, so it's, it's it's great to have you here. But I was just thinking that in terms of the podcast, we actually haven't had a chat um, since you're in the World Cup. So well, you were at the World Cup, I should say. So I just wondered what your reflections were on the tournament in terms of kind of what it says about where rugby is at the moment. Well, I mean, rugby has been on a an ever uh, increasing grade for a long time now, and especially in the northern hemisphere where where the populations are, are so much greater. Um, the popularity of the game um, is is just wonderful. Yeah. It's um, after the '87 World Cup in New Zealand, which was a wonderful occasion. Um, I've been to every World Cup actually, so uh, I can I can speak about them all by comparison, I guess. Um, and it was a wonderful occasion. It was it was a meeting of Loads and loads of people that you knew um, in world rugby, and uh, it was, was like having a lot of guests at your home. I guess it was it was a terrific occasion. But then came '91, and it was a whole new ball game. Uh, it was in it was in the UK. Um, there were some games in France, and and the, and uh, the rest of the games were in the other. England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, um, and it it went up about ten levels, mm. and then it, it's continued to develop ever since, um, with technology developing, especially um, broadcast and IT, uh, and the economies of the world have continued to develop too. Where even though they go up and down a bit, but it's pretty much an, a steady increase. If you draw a line through the 
through the uh, sine curve. Um, so it, it, this one, for me, the, the high point was once again, people from all around the world uh, met to support their team and it was like one big party, a happy occasion. Not, not, not a party like the Sevens are a party. It was, it was there for rugby, but it was also there to enjoy one another's company and to enjoy the fact that you, you supported the same game and therefore you had that, uh, that bond, I guess. Mm. Um, I, I enjoyed every moment of it and, uh, it was, the Poms can can organise a party, that's for sure. They can organise anything, for that matter. But but uh, they can certainly organise a party, and it was really, really well organised. Um, they've got great stadia um, around the country. Um, so all in all, it was a huge experience. It was a bit tiring, I must say. I was there for seven weeks, and uh, at my age, I decided that six weeks should have been my limit. <laughs> so I'm not too... I'm not too sure about Japan. I might have to drop back to about four weeks, I think. Uh, <laughs> like I'll a, be going. A six-week road trip will do. It would test anyone, I think. Um, and and just just finally on the World Cup, what did you think? What about from the rugby itself? Um, did you did you think it had you know moved on or had it changed any in style or form in any way? Well, the, probably the most obvious thing was that the. Second and third tier countries had definitely moved ahead, um, we, which is just great. Um, we we arrived in in England a couple of days before Australia's first game, um, and that was a day or two after the tournament began. And on I think it was on the first or second day of the tournament, Japan played South Africa, and. Uh, my wife and I were just looking at what games we'd record. And I said, well, we should record Japan versus South Africa. And and being mates with Eddie Jones, um, I said, I'd really be keen to uh, watch that game. Anyway, we recorded that and watched it. And, of course, Japan won. So that that pretty much set the tone for the tournament. But not only did Japan win, but they played really good rugby to win. Mm. Okay, so maybe South Africa were below what they would have thought was an acceptable standard for themselves. Who knows? But they weren't terrible um, by uh, at all. They weren't anything like terrible. But Japan were very good. And, and so then we saw excellent performances sprinkled throughout the tournaments by some of the so-called third-tier nations. And, um, and that, was just, that, that was just great. That, uh, that inspired everyone. Uh, to think that the game is developing to such an extent around the world. Yeah. Um, Insofar in, in, in as um, style of play is concerned, and uh, the the Six Nations tournament uh, are still crying about it, um, even more so now that the current Six Nations tournament is, is underway, um, that it's the Southern Hemisphere of gone so far ahead and for the first time ever of course um, the the uh, Super Rugby um, the Rugby Championship nations of South Africa, New Zealand, Argentina and Australia 
were the um, were the four semi finalists. So that was a that was fantastic um, for us um, that they were disappointed, but uh, the Northern Hemisphere were disappointed, but still they they sat up and, and took notice. So what what was clear was that the enterprise of the enterprise and the speed and perhaps the uh, physicality of the game in those four nations had had gone ahead much more quickly than than in the northern hemisphere mm. um, and that was that was probably what what separated uh, everyone i mean it wasn't wasn't as clear cut as um as I've just said, and uh, and we all know Scotland could just as easily have won against um, Australia, and Samoa could just as easily have won against Scotland, um, and um, uh, quite a, a few of the other games were were really close as well. But in in the final wrap up, those four countries were in the in the um, in the semi-finals. What, what one of the one of the most Exciting and perhaps inspiring performances for me was um, Argentina against Ireland in the quarterfinal. Mm. I know um, Agustin Pichot very well, um, and uh, and I spoke to him in the week between the quarterfinal and the semifinal, and I said, "Mate, I'm just so impressed with the standard and with the quality of the rugby." That Argentina played against Ireland, and Ireland, Ireland were knocked around a bit with uh, injuries and below their best. But nevertheless, um, you can you can see quality rugby, and um, and and they played to a very high standard. And Argentina have always been very physical, um, very determined, very brave. Um, always had champion goal kickers. Um, and um, but in in this tournament, they showed that they understood the uh, the fundamentals of of the of a quality attacking game, and not that many countries in the world do understand it um, or exhibit that they understand it. But Argentina did, and so that was that, that was great for me. I um, I thought, boy, there's there's another country playing real quality rugby. Um, Maybe for me, the the best performance by an Australian crowd, I think I've I've seen a couple. One was Australia versus New Zealand at the Sydney Football Stadium in, I think, 1994, George Cregan Tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, game um, where the crowd stood on the seats and applauded non-stop for 10 or 15 minutes after the game finished. But the next one, and one I really enjoyed, was Australia versus England at Twickenham yep. in the pool match. Uh, there was a, a small percentage of the crowd, but a substantial contingent, nevertheless, of Australian supporters at the game. And... Uh, the the exhilaration and excitement from from that from the uh, Wallaby supporters was um, uh, was infectious, and uh, I, I don't think I've 
being, well, I wasn't in the crowd. I was coaching in 94, so I wasn't in amongst the crowd as much. But at Twickenham, I was right in amongst the crowd, and it was an absolute, as a Wallaby supporter, it was an absolute joy to be there. And um, a lot of Australian supporters went to the World Cup thinking we may not get out of the pool. Mm. I have to say, uh, I don't want to sound like a smart aleck, but I was not one of them. I thought we'd win all our matches in the pool. Um, I didn't think it was going to be easy, but I thought we were capable of winning all our matches, and we did. Um, and it wasn't easy. Uh, but um, so it was wonderful to be there, and uh, World Cups are, in rugby are something else. If, if you want to enjoy life and experience um, people with similar... Uh, similar approach to life where, um, generally speaking, uh, they want to uh, treat other people as they would like to be treated themselves, then um, the World Cup is not to be missed. No, that sounded, sounded brilliant. And actually, I must have, someone told me a little story about that, uh, that pool match against England, that if you stayed behind after the match, that um, apparently the Wallaby dressing room door got left open and you could hear them sing the anthem right around Twickers. Um, oh, which, no. which, yeah. which, which would have been brilliant. But, mate, look, back to home now, and um, obviously we're two rounds of Super Rugby down. Um, so what's your view on the Australian team so far and the players? I mean, I think you mentioned to me earlier that there's a few players that you think are kind of putting their hands up for us to have another look at maybe. Well, I, I think that, I mean, the Brumbies are obviously playing very well. Um, and, but I think that... Um, I think that the Force and the Rebels are, are also playing pretty well. The, the Waratahs will be a little bit disappointed at the moment, but they're still finding their way a bit, especially in especially in the front row, maybe even the tight five. Um, and Foley out as, hasn't been good to them, but um, the, the Brumbies are playing very well. They're playing very committed um, rugby. I like I like numbers at the tackle contest. Mm. Um, and and they're certainly sending lots of numbers in there. Um, they put the acid on the referee, I must say. Uh, and but that that's the way they choose to play. And so I, I think all in all, not uh, not too bad. But I think there's some players that are putting their hand up that we haven't really we, we've we've thought a bit about, but we haven't really. Um, thought that they could go to the next level, but I think we have quite a few coming through that um, that uh, genuine international class players. You, you, you never know a hundred percent until you put them to the test. My my experience is that players that have what it takes play better as they go higher. So it's not that difficult to see. Mm. Um, what they need is opportunity. In fact, what all our players need is opportunity. I've had this discussion with a few high-level personnel at the ARU to say to them, look, we we have loads and loads of great players. Uh, We need to give them opportunity and good coaching and um, and, uh, we've got as many coming through as anyone else and more than most. So I think Carmichael Hunt, for example, is a very, very good player. Mm -hmm. I think he can do things that not many people can. Um, he'll need uh, opportunity and good players around him, but he can 
for me, the mark of a great player is one who can make space for another player, for a quality attacking player. Obviously, he can make space for another player. Mm-hmm. And I think he does that better than at least 90% of, of uh, top-level players. So I think he, and I know Czech's um, interested in him, and I think he'll come through, actually. Um, I think we've got a couple of young halfbacks, one that people have seen for the last couple of years, but I thought three years ago he was, uh, he was, he was worth three or four years ago, maybe he was worth a, uh, a good look at, and that's Nick Sturzak, but he's injured at the moment, but he'll be back. So I think, um, I think he plays scrum half like I think one should play scrum half. All the technical details of of the position, um, he understands and he executes, um, and some some of the others don't. So uh, I could see him coming through. Um, Caden Neville has never is a big guy, but he's never quite been looked at that he could he could go to the next level. But I think he could now. He's got he's got opportunity now, and um, um, he's making the most of it. Um, I like, I like people say to me, you, you like big guys, don't you? And I say, well, I like good big guys. And a good big guy will always be a good little guy. And um, so I, I, I could see him coming through. Um, in fact, we've, while on the subject of second rowers, we've got a, a number of locks coming through that could really, um, could, could really take us to another level in international rugby, I reckon. Mm. So um, Rory Arnold and Adam Coleman, for example, two really big guys and um, uh, very quite athletic. And um, so I, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see them given a chance. Yeah, I think I, I, think I, I, saw, I, think I saw Coleman throw... I think I saw him throw like a double miss pass on the weekend as well. It looks like he's, he's, a, he's a bit of a ball player as well as a big unit. Mm. I might have to drop him if he throws a miss pass. It's not one of my favourite. Uh, it's not one of my favourite uh, details in the game. But but yeah, he's he's, he's got uh, he's got hand-eye coordination and balance and all those things. So I, I actually wrote a list of um, locks, and at the at the risk of missing a couple, I wrote um, the started with the ones that are at at top level at the moment in Rob Simmons and Kane Douglas and Will Skelton. And then I added Luke Jones and Sam Carter, and 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 then I added Caden Neville and Rory Arnold and Adam Coleman, and then one guy who will qualify shortly for Australia, who I think is a real talent, um, is Sam Lucy. Is that how you pronounce his name, or Lousy? Yeah. Um, from the, from the Waratahs, he's a real athlete and a very good, great, great footwork, big man. 120 kilos, um, so he could be something else. And then there's still a couple of others that have just started coming through, like um, uh, Blake Enever and Steve Cummins. And and then I've also listed, in fact, mentioned that Hugh Pyle has improved four levels since he's been to Europe, and we ought to think about getting him back too, um, because he's a real athlete as well. So that's, um, I forget how many that is, but that's something like 11 or 12 locks, mm. um, which, was, is, which is not a bad number. We were scratching around only a year ago, weren't we? Yeah. So, I mean, they're not all there, but 
I'm very happy that if you pick the eyes out of them and gave them opportunity in good company, I, I think they'll, I think they'll, uh, they'll come up with the goods. Um, whichever ones uh, meets up to someone like Check and his and his mates to look at them more closely, and to if you're in the guy's company, especially at a at a squad training camp, you can soon see who's going to come through and who's not. Mm. So I, I, I think we're I think we're doing okay. I um, a couple of young scrum halves. Um, I was a bit worried about scrum half, but um, I, I think um, Ben Mann, who's who's subbing down at the Rebels, I think he's a very good player. Uh, I, I, I hadn't seen him before, but I think he could. Uh, I think he could be a top level player. Yeah. And I actually think Ian Pryor from the Force is a very good player, also. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I um, I'm not, I'm not too unhappy about things at all. Jono Lance, um, talking about being given opportunity. Jono Lance being given an opportunity as a starting player, with his team depending on him, has has been first rate mm. in the first two games, and he's got a good pedigree. I know his dad well, and. Uh, if he's got the ticket that his father's got, which I'm 100% sure he has, because I've seen him play a lot, um, he, he's a real quality player, and I, I, I think he could go further. Mm. Um, Petty, um, a really good player. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I think there's, uh, I think there's a number of great players that. The backup hooker for the Reds, um, Andrew Reddy. I think um, I don't want to make a pun out of this, but I think he's well and truly ready. He's he's a genuine uh, athletic, big, strong, athletic um, hooker who can. You want your modern day hooker, we have for 20 years, wanted your hooker to play like a back row forward, um, and he can do that. So no, I, I think we're well placed. That's good. Well, I think there's going to be plenty of uh, opportunity this this season um, with the shakeout after the World Cup and, and everything else. So it's good to know there's some coming through. But just while we're on the, the topic of sort of, I guess, development and pathways, um, there's something that I'm sure um, you would have had, uh, you know, uh, well, I know that you've got some, some thoughts about, which is this whole argument that's kind of blown up around the uh, shoot shield um, over the last few weeks. Um, look, I think... The, the bigger argument's been kind of raked over a little bit. There were just a, there were a few parts of it, though, that I wanted to drill into um, with you. Um, one of the first ones is that a lot of people s- sort of say, well, look, you know, is the shoot shield as relevant now that we've got the NRC? But the bit that I guess I'm trying to get my head around, which seems to be that people seem to be forgetting that about half the NRC teams are actually run by the shoot shield clubs. Um what are the economics of that for the Shoot Shield clubs? I mean, you know, um, Randwick's involved with with one of them with the NRC. Is it is it is it cost neutral? Is does it take up resources? Does it? How does it work? Well, uh, uh, to to make a long story short, uh, um, Bill Pulver, as CEO of the ARU, appealed to the Sydney club presidents and asked. Would the Sydney clubs assist the ARU in a time of um, difficult financial constraints on the ARU? And um, it wasn't a 100% unanimous decision amongst the clubs, but but we we eventually agreed to to support 
ENRC um, in order to assist um, the AAU financially. It was, it was also thought that it would add another step uh, along the pathway, uh, along career pathway, development pathway for players. Um, and so we did that, despite the fact that it served to reduce income for, um, for clubs mm-hmm. and also served to increase expenditure for clubs. Not only expenditure in financial expenditure, but expenditure in terms of volunteers' time and, and effort, um, which, which is an important, massively important part of the game of rugby in Australia. Um, and the, the, the more you ask of those people, the, the more you're going to wear them out and eventually you're going to lose them. So you've got to be a bit careful on, on how you do that. Um, anyway, we we did that and the AAU's financial situation has changed hugely. But did the AAU come back and say, thanks very much for your help? Um, now we can return to the original situation that you had as uh, as clubs, and they totally ignored it. So we, we are we're we're unbelievably disappointed. We're um, it's like it's it's like a good friend has kicked you in the teeth. Really, mm. um, if someone asks you for a favour, you, you do it. Um, in good grace because you want to help your friends and then your friend turns around and says, well, I've taken advantage of you and and uh, and now you're not my friend. Um, so it's unbelievably disappointing and the Sydney clubs are determined to not to accept it and whatever has to be done uh, to, to return to our uh, previous situation, uh, we... We, we will do it. Um, I said to Bill, uh, we're, we're, we're not asking uh, the Australian Rugby Union for financial support, Bill. We are asking you to give us some of our money back. We contribute enormously to your capacity to make that money. And so we consider that some of it's ours and we, and we want it. Um, it's not only about money. We've asked for other things uh, which which didn't require any finance when the AU was strapped, and and none of that, even though there was an agreement, none of that came forward as well uh, either. And so we're we're disappointed and we refuse to accept it. We are the, the Sydney clubs are undoubtedly the heart of Australian rugby. We're not the only organ in Australian rugby, but undoubtedly we're at the heart of it. Queensland, the Brisbane clubs uh, add a considerable amount as well, but without without the Sydney clubs, the game would fold. That's it, simply. If there were no Sydney clubs, the game would not exist in Australia. Mm. We provide 65% of Super Rugby players, um, and um, we, we pay a huge cost. Sydney clubs raise and spend about nine million dollars to run the to run their club. Um, with with no help um, from uh, f- from external um, sources, no, no help from the AU because mm. they're the only real income producing uh, 
uh, or income collecting, I shouldn't say producing. It seems to me it's like the federal government. Um, even though the federal government collect all the taxes, they acknowledge that it's not all their money, but a lot of the money is due to works done by the various states. And and so they have to they have to return some of that money to the states. Um, and we will eventually get acknowledgement of that. Yeah. However long it takes, we will succeed. And what about the – so what's the New South Wales Rugby Union's role in all of it? Because I guess well, that's one of the other things that people have said as well. Surely the shoot club should be talking to the NS, you know, New South Wales Rugby Union about – Yeah, we do, and, and that's true. And we, we, uh, we talk to the New South Wales Rugby Union about our budget requirements, what, what we would like and how we're going to spend it. We give them our budgets. And collectively, the Sydney Rugby Union um, does it gives a collective budget to New South Wales for uh, on behalf of the clubs and on behalf of the Sydney Rugby Union. And the New South Wales Rugby Union put that budget to the ARU, and the the the, the um, root of the money would be from the ARU to New South Wales to Sydney to the clubs. Mm-hmm. But but the ARU rejected. Um, New South Wales Rugby Union's budget um, on on that score. Um, they told New South Wales they would not give any money to uh, them for distribution in Sydney clubs uh, to quote, to quote a senior person so that the Sydney clubs could piss it up against the wall, which which is unbelievably insulting considering the massive development job that the Sydney clubs do on behalf of the ARU. Mm. Uh, they do virtually no development themselves. Um, they just accept the developed product. Mm. And, and fin- so, just finally on this one, uh, we're not hearing as much from the Queensland clubs. Are, are they in a different situation with the, with their funding, or the, what's the, different uh, there? The, no, the, no, the Queensland clubs are the Brisbane clubs, I should say, mm, are Brisbane. probably more irate than Sydney clubs. Um, we, we we shouldn't ignore the fact that. Queensland country and New South Wales country do a huge amount of development work too, mm-hmm. without any doubt. But they tend to be, um, because that's the way things are, they tend to be to develop players that go to Sydney or go to Brisbane and then subsequently up to the next level. But um, the, both those countries do a phenomenal, phenomenal job in, in developing uh, players. There's if we look to the original source of players, there's a disproportionate number of players come from come from country. Um, so uh, certainly there should be support for those for those regions as well. But by and large, there is support for those regions. It's just the city-based clubs that have uh, been ignored, and the Brisbane clubs are ignored in exactly the same way, and they are they are irate. Mm. Be the only possible. I, I think they're, I think they're more distressed than the Sydney clubs are, which is hard to imagine, but I think they are. All right. Well, it really does sound like things are kind of hitting breaking point for um, a lot of people. So I think this is something that's not going to, not going to go away until it's resolved. Um, Correct. Mate, well, look, I've, we've impinged on your time enough already. I know you've got people around for dinner, but um, thanks very much for coming on and, and coming. I was going to say it's our bicentennial. I know that's not the right word. Um, it does feel like it's been going for a long time, though. So um, 
which, whichever way, thanks very much for coming on. To, to no, no, it's my, my pleasure. Chat. Nice to talk to you. Good one, Bob. Well, have a good night. See you, Speak later. Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye, Bye Rob. Okay, so that was uh, Matt and Bob. Fantastic. He, uh, Bob was certainly on fire in that one. Uh, not much needed by Matt to uh, keep that conversation moving. But uh, straight to Matt now. Mags, it's a, Matt, it's appropriate to have you on the show as uh, the founder of Green and Gold Rugby, our first host of the podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us, mate. No, thanks for having me on, mate. And yeah, as you could, as you saw there, Bob had plenty to say, and yeah, you know, pretty fitting that he was there. I, looking back tonight, that he's been riding with us since August uh, 2010, so kind of co- wow. coincides with the with the podcast itself. Um, but yeah, no, good to be here. As I said in the interview with him, um, I didn't know if I, we should call this the bicentennial. I think that means 200 years, doesn't it? So <laughs> feels like it sometimes. <laughs> it does. Um, Look, we've got some very great guests. We've always got Bobis in the booth. Um, Rob, thanks for joining us and, and looking after things, keeping us nice and smooth here tonight. But we've got uh, Steve from Brumby Land sitting on top of the table there. Uh, Steve, how are you going, mate? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. How are you going? Very well, very well. We'll get back to you and talk to you about everything that's nation's capital at the moment. And the man, if there was a Sydney Irish team in the Shoot Shield competition at the moment, this guy would be the most hated man in Australia. <laughs> Hugh Cavill, thanks for joining us. <laughs> there is actually a Sydney Irish team. They're playing, they're playing subbies, though. So, uh, yeah, they play true yeah. grassroots. Is that right? True exactly grassroots? Exactly right. Exactly right. They need more funding. Out, out, the, back, out the back with me on a, on a uh, Saturday Arvo. Um, yeah, well... 200. I, I was on the first one as well, I seem to believe. And, and to be honest, I actually don't think we've really improved much. <laughs> <laughs> Were you on the first one? I've got, uh, I think I, I remember, uh, obviously, Lance Free and, and Steve Timms and Scott Bryant, Wine Coat and the boys. There was about seven. There was about seven people, yeah. I think. I think I think we jammed as many people onto Skype, and we we learned very quickly afterwards that uh, the uh, the sound uh, quality uh, is quite disruptive if you have that many people on. Can I, um, can I just do it? Can I do a quick reminisce about our first interview, which was actually with uh, I think it was with Al Baxter, uh, <laughs> yes. and um, we hadn't done one before, and so we basically just had him on, and I think it was kind of Tim's he was in the chair, and we basically just had him on for an hour. It was an hour and a half. Yeah, we just kept going. And I actually had the guy who was a mate of mine who'd organised, had done the intro, was going apoplectic in the background (laughs) on text going, what are you doing? Get him off. (laughs) He thought he was giving you 15 minutes. Um, I can can remember that was was when we were doing, we would do full rundowns of each game, you know, full preview. So we were were throwing to Al on the Sharks cheaters going out. He did well, Al. I think we should. I think he should get him back. Get him back. I think we'll, we'll, oh, we'll redeem ourselves with a really nice. short, sharp. You know, we'll only keep him on for forty. <laughs> mm. Well, you see Al around, right? He's he's one of those guys where you know props go one or two ways, don't they? Like the old style ones who kind of just kind of let it all hang out um, after they retire, and then you've got the modern ones. And Al's one of those guys. He's looking pretty fit in these days. So anyway. Yeah, they're more going that way. Andrew Heath is another one who's just tiny these days. Mm. Um, remarkable. I, I should note, I did have a look back at some of those um, early podcasts, and I tell you what, quite ironically, given the week he's had, one of the uh, most prominent guests we had on the show that first year or so was yeah. one Richard Graham. So That's um, right, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about Richard, I'm sure, very soon. He probably would hold the record for most appearances by sort of a player or coach, I would think, because he, he must have... He, 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 had his, he had his own theme song. He did. Yeah. His own theme tune, yeah. Uh, Woody's Roundup it was. 
<laughs> yes, he was a, he was a great man. He did a lot, lot for us. That was when he was back with the the force, I guess, at the time. But um, yeah. it seems so long ago, and, and it's uh, a couple of lifetimes, Richard. Now, um, but look, I, I wanted to get I wanted to get some sort of tie into two hundred a night. It's a big show, obviously, and it would have been great. Um, you know, you'd go back and pick out highlights. But geez, who's got the time to do that? I don't think we've even got them on file anymore. But you know, as you all know that. Wallabies these are now given numbers. So Paddy Carew, who was our is a lock in that very first Test team who played against the Lions back in 1899, is our number one because it went alphabetically. So Paddy Carew is number one, and we couple just last year we had Toby Smith and Big Naya Avoro being our number 889 and 900. So you got 1899 uh, for the number one, and you've got 900 last year. I'm not going to make you guys guess who number 200 was, but give me a year. What year do you reckon our 200th Wallaby made his debut? Steve, what about you, mate? What do you reckon? Hazard a guess for us. Um, 1960. Love it. Okay. Mr. Cavill? Gee, uh, oh, I don't know. I think Steve's on the right track. Uh, 200. I, I'll, I'll go a bit earlier. I'll say um, 1949. Ooh, okay. Matt, what do you got? Well, you, oh, okay. Yeah. Ten a year? Uh, no, it's probably not quite ten. Uh, like nineteen thirty-nine. You all over. Wheel of Fortune yeah. guys, it'll all be over. Nineteen twenty-three. Oh. As you could imagine, in the nicest possible way, we went through quite a bit in the. I mean, the the, the war years obviously shut down rugby, but there was a fair few debutants around that time. So. Bob Loudon was our number 200, who's a flanker, and he has actually actually represented the Waratahs at the time. So this was back in that post-war era when there was no Queensland rugby, and it was the Waratahs representing Australia. But they were playing as the Waratahs, and it was only retrospectively they were awarded Some caps. things never change. <laughs> yes, exactly. I made that point. And to make the point even more relevant was that Bob was a, a Kiwi. So he's a former New Zealander who moved out here and got a Wallaby cap. So still our, our Australian team back then was... Uh, was uh, dominated by Kiwi-born um, uh, internationals. And, I should <laughs> and, also and ma- um, yep. oddly enough, Reg, just on, on my research, that 1923 team was coached by Bob Dwyer. <laughs> yes, exactly right. <laughs> that on was his first shot. Yes, exactly right. He was, he was an up-and-coming, you know, he was in his early 30s back then. And, uh, yeah, first, first shot at the Wallowings. <laughs> Bob was one of the few non-Randwick players on that team. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. Look, look. Let's move forward now from 1923 to uh, 2016 and look at round two of Super Rugby. There's plenty to talk about soon, but we need to focus on these games first and foremost um, and look at round two, as we say, of, of Super Rugby this season. Uh, Crusaders beat the Blues in the first round, uh, coming back from their first round loss, which took us straight into the first uh, uh, Aussie game of the round, where the Brumbies took on the Waratahs. Down in Canberra, and the Brumbies, in front of a huge crowd, Steve, uh, got away with the victory. It's a, a decent score, 32-15. If you'd believe some of the forum, the, the Waratahs had been beaten by 50 or 60, but it uh, wasn't quite that way. Steve, how did you see it? I actually think the final score sort of flooded the Brumbies a bit. When you look at how well the Waratahs did in that game, like that start they had was absolutely terrible. I think five penalties in five minutes and Skelton in the bin. And then the Brumbies only scored eight points in that first half, considering they had Skelton and then Dean Mum in the bin as well. So uh, to get to eight all at half time by the Waratahs was a pretty good effort. And like people were saying, it was all doom and gloom for the Waratahs. And I, I actually think they did quite well in that game. And these games are always a real bash of shit out of each other game. And this was no different. Like you look at all the number of injuries at the end of the game as well. So, you know, Pilotta now uh, with his wrist, 
Rob Horn went off injured. Um, who else was there? Angus Heg- uh, Bryce Hegarty. Bryce Hegarty, yep. Did his ACL. So, you know, a lot of bodies on the ground in that game. And I think, um, you know, just towards the end there with that no try to Curtly Beal, which I said was a bit controversial. I, like, to be fair, at the ground, the replay screen's fairly horrible to watch. So I didn't quite see how um, Lousy had got Jared Butler. So if that try is given, that possibly reduces the gap to three points with a couple of minutes to go. And then there's that last try to Nigel R. Wong, which sort of blew out the score a bit. So um, the score was, I think, flattering for the Brumbies. So I think the Waratahs did, really did put in a good show considering how little of the ball they had in that early stage and playing with 14 men for 60 minutes. Hugh, did you feel it that way? Have you got, you know, despite the loss, have, do you see positives out of it? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, in, in many ways, the game actually reminded me a bit of the World Cup final, um, as much as it hurts to dredge that one up, in the sense that, you know, somehow we, you know, the Waratahs were still in it at half time despite having, you know, so much possession against them, two men in the bin, that sort of thing. Um, and, and then, you know, clawed back into it in the second half and, you know, with with 10 minutes left, we're within striking distance. 15 minutes left, we're in striking distance. But then the class of the Brumbies just told and all of the work the Waratahs did on defence in those early minutes probably caught up to them. Um, but still, there's a lot of positives for Waratahs. I, you know, Canberra's always a tough assignment. And I think um, I think the Brumbies are a really good team this year. Uh, I think that's, that's the fact of it. And, and that game, I think, showed where both teams are, that the Brumbies are, you know, I think have definitely usurped the Waratahs now as as the Australian side, and, and the Waratahs are probably in that, you know, are in that second spot, you know, chasing the Brumbies. Um, hey, I don't, hate to break you know, it to you, Hugh, but you're currently sitting in third spot behind the force, mate. <laughs> God. Oh, jeez, oh, that doesn't make me feel at all better, Reed, Makes but, that Reed's um, loss a little bit more bearable from my perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but... You know, there's positives there for the Waratahs, I think. Um, but ultimately, the Brumbies were just, were just too strong and and showed how, for the second time, and I think the Reds got it, got it in the back end of the first game, is that the Waratahs' defensive line can be worked out. And they were playing these beautiful, deep second-man plays, and that was, you know, with Kurandrani and Tamura and Leah Lafano on song, and not to mention Joe, Joe Tamani as well. Um, you know, that back line just had too much class for us. And I, I think the set piece as well is the other big worry. And, and look, the Waratahs can still make a pretty deep run this year. But, um, you know, the, those flaws were pretty well exposed by the Brumbies, I thought. All right, Matt, from you, your perspective, um, the pre-season uh, re- preview we did, you know, you, you played the sort of neutral there. The Brumbies now, you've seen them two weeks in a row. It's only early days. Do you think they're legit? Yeah, I mean, they're looking really good. Um, uh, really solid team. I think they're showing some more things, more strings to their bow this year. Um, but, you know, the, as we've watched them, we, we've realised, you know, they've, they've got a lot of the remaining class and experience um, in that one side from, uh, from Australian rugby. So, yeah, uh, you, you feel they can go a long, long way. There's, there's, there's probably a couple of little injuries in there, though, that could happen that I would think would throw things out. Um, you know, probably around that 10-12 area, um, you know, with Tamura Lele Ofano, uh, and clearly Pocock is just a massive presence there. So, uh, you know, look, no one wishes that on them, so I hope they all stay together. If they do, I think they could be really strong. But just, you know, reflecting on the game on the Friday night, I mean, geez, I tell you what, I, I know that Dave um, Cyclopath actually turned the match off 30 seconds oh. in. 
and refused to watch it because he knew how angry he was going to get because it was just mind blowing. Um, that Angus Taavo, uh, the new yep. uh, prop. I mean, he, I think he gave away the first three penalties, um, and they were all, you know, just it was just dumb stuff. But look, I, I think the Waratahs have a bit of a game plan for some of these. You know, they have a tactic that they throw in with a lot of these sides that are very well organised, like a Crusaders or like a Brumbies, and that's basically just to get up in their face and just try and knock them off their game. And that includes being a bit too fast off the line. That includes being pretty loose with some of your hits and and, and those sorts of things. But I I, I don't think it's an accident um, because you know you you look at it and at half time when it was eight all, and I think everyone must have just thought how, you know, like how on earth was that not you know. 20 points further up to the Brumbies. Um, and Stephen Larkham's eyes in the uh, halftime interviews <laughs> said it all. He looked like he'd been – he'd either blown a gasket or been crying. Um, I think he lost one in the, in the, in the, in the room. So, um, you know, anyway, at the end of the day, uh, Brumbies put, put that game away, maybe blew out a little bit. If there's anything that I'm worried about with the Waratahs, I mean, I think they've identified some good new talent coming through, Jed Holloway and guys like that who by the end of the season could be – Playing, uh, you know, big big roles. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I think it's the set piece. Uh, yeah. You know, we just we don't seem to have a, a front row this year, um, which is a real worry. Um, and the the, the line out is has got some wobbles too, and I don't think that's going to get us very far. It just shows you how crucial Sakopi Kepu was as a player mm. for the Waratahs, and how I think he patched over a lot of a lot of worries at set piece time. That scrum he basically held up on his own. You know, on his own merits, and now we haven't got him anymore, and and that's just been huge, hasn't it? Yep. Well, there's a, you know, there's a couple of losses here, Steve, and we, Matt talked about the injuries, and um, he's bang on. You don't want to lose either of those halves, but it's it's there is some depth there with the Brumbies. They've got a great pack, and now it looks like Blake Enov is out for a sustained period, but that'll just bring in um, the big man Arnold into the starting team again, won't it? Yeah. So Blake Enov did an AC joint in his shoulder. Um, and then Rory Arnold will just slot in. So he played um, Brumby Runners on Sunday again, or Saturday on the weekend against Sydney Uni. So he'll just be like a direct swap there. So yeah. other than that, um, they're okay. There's a couple of guys coming up from the through the runners that just get some match fitness, like Robbie Coleman, who um, could fill in at that 10 or 12 position if any of those other guys there go down. Yeah, but there's a legitimate depth uh, depth there when you get guys like um, Alalatoa and Josh Man Ray, you know, Wallaby coming off the bench and and really contributing. So they're they're looking like a good squad there. And and Matt, we might touch on this a bit soon, but you, you talk about the weakness in that set piece. But it's interesting how the Waratahs can still be challenging, and and, and obviously there's many more issues involved. But yet yeah, counterpoint that with the Reds, who've got a a fantastic set piece at the moment, but just nothing else. Mm. And um, and uh, you know which would you prefer? Let's um, let's move on from that Waratahs Reds games unless anyone wants to jump in with another point there. Going, going, gone. Um, the uh, Chiefs uh, went down to the Lions, um, which was a, a, a big win for the Lions over there in New Zealand, uh, thirty-six to thirty-two. Before the Highlanders gestured at the Hurricanes, before uh, everyone turned off their TVs um, up here in Brisbane as the Reds went down to the four, six to 22. Um, I'm glad I feel uh, so much support here tonight on my own as a Reds fan that I, I actually feel like I'm, I was at the game on how I felt at the game on Saturday <laughs> night. It was remarkable. It was a barren stadium. I haven't seen a crowd so small 
um, for many, many years, probably uh, Eddie Jones, maybe even before Eddie Jones. So I oh think the announced crowd was 17,000. I, I actually know it was closer to 14,000. Bumped into some people on the way out who had the insights. So wow. I genuinely think if you go back through the record books, that will be, you know, that's maybe Jeff Miller Day sort of thing. So it's uh, it's dire times for the Reds um, and we'll... Um, let's go into it because it, no, I'm going to talk about the force first. Let's give credit to the winning side too. That say so 22 to six there. Late try to Luke Morahan, Lance five five penalties and, and prior conversion. Um, it really was a fairly dire match, and I shook my head a great deal even from a Reds perspective. Was there much from the force here, Hugh? Did you sit through this one? Uh yeah, I did. I I was. Used very liberal use of fast forward um, yep. on some of some of it, but look, the force, are the force, and the, what they've always have been these honest, very you know, full of honest players, pretty workmanlike. They've got probably a more exciting backline than they've had in previous years. I like John Lance at ten, yeah, uh, um, and you know, with Benny Tapawai and unfortunately Carl Godwin's out for for, yep. for a while now, and Junior Rasalia. You throw Nick Cummins back in there. Dane Hale at Petty's a good player. Um, Luke Morahan, you know that's that's a pretty honest sort of backline there. Um, and and the forward pack too. Uh, and, and that was a, a pretty well suited game for them. I mean that they just kept patient and kept the ball in hand and worked downfield and made took uh, advantage of the Reds' errors. Um, you know I think Hale at Petty was particularly um, had a particularly good game at fullback, just in a, in a very kick oriented game. And um, the winger, the Fijian winger too, who I thought was actually quite decent, whose name I forget. And um, obviously Matt Hodgson too. I think the Reds have been crying out for a seven, um, crying out for Liam Gill. And as much as I like Curtis Browning, and, and Matt Hodgson had, had, I think, had a pretty good night um, and had the, run of the, had the run of the breakdown. And in the end, those, those little things told, and, and that was probably what got the force over the line. Yeah, it's interesting. We we had intentions of starting Michael Gunn from the bench, who's our legitimate seven. He pulled out late, and Waiter Setu came from nowhere. Um, he played NRC last year, but he ended up coming off the bench. But uh, we we don't have an open side at the moment, and we've used to be something of all our depth. We had Brad Wilkin; he's gone down to the Tars, and it's a real worry for us at nine. Bo Robinson's over at the Quins with with uh, big Kevy Horwell. But um, I agree that the Force have always built their game around a, a fantastic back row, which again you mentioned Matty Hodgson, but I thought Angus Cotter was fantastic as well. Smart halves this time it was Matheson and, and Lance. Um, and Dane Heather Petty from the back looked really, really sl- slick. Um, again, we dominated set piece. Uh, you know, there's a, one of the few highlights, and it got a legitimate cheer from the crowd, was when uh, Benny Daly, our, our old-fashioned, popped um, uh, the tight head prop, um, uh, I think Miller from the force, uh, legitimately up and almost touched the sky. Um, but that was about it, you know, and, and, and it must it must be said, there's a lot of praise for Holmes around the park, around the place, uh, and his set piece is rock solid. Um, but there's not much more out there at the moment. So concerns there. We mentioned Kepu gone, uh, tight head depth there. Um, Steve, did you watch this game pretty dire? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I was struggling to stay awake to be honest until the end. So, um, like you say, the force, the force full of ex-Reds beating the current Reds. So. Um, to see some red heavies out there, and it's probably the highlight of the match, really. Mm. All right, well, let's let's talk 
um, about the outcomes of this match for a little bit. Let's delve into this. Um, we found out yesterday that Richard Graham has has been um, uh, fired, uh, I guess, and uh, on the basis of um, I think Dan Herbert, who's the the GM of Reds Rugby at the moment or High Performance, said that the 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 change room was a complete lack of spirit post game. Um, I'd be fascinated to know what it's been like in the last few years, but for, from his perspective, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, big call by Herbie. Herbie's known Richard for a long time. They played together at school. They played together at club, um, and they are generally good mates. Um, I think it is worth noting the the way Richard's handled this. I know he gave a uh, – he met with all the staff. They had a staff meeting, and uh, he said his farewells, and it was very emotional for him. Um, he apologised. Uh, he recognised that they all felt the highs and lows of the team, that they you know, were right along by the team's side, um, reiterated the passion he had for the place and, and the Reds and so on. He then pretty much went outside and did the same um, presentation to the media, talked to the media, um, and what was quite stirring was to see all the media line up and shake his hand as he left. So there is no doubting that Richard... Is widely regarded as a quality bloke, and we've already sort of insinuated that and how helpful he was with us in our early podcast days. Um, always had time for us, um, but there's also no doubting that uh, the coaching situation at the Reds was uh, in dire need of change. Change has now happened, Matt. The, um, the, the, the solution now seems to be this, uh, this intriguingly labelled co-interim head coaches mm. uh, with Nick Styles and Matt O'Connor. What are your thoughts? Well, look, I agree with everything you say there, Reg, about uh, Richard, and um, he's obviously a, a lovely, lovely guy, and I think everyone kind of feels... Uh, I know someone started a thread about this in our forum, yep. actually, um, and I think he hit the sentiment you know, quite well, which is that um, everyone feels for the guy. I, I just think there are so many strange things that have happened all the way up the, the seniority line here that it's just, a, it's all a bit weird. Um, and those decisions aren't his. So apart from him resigning, um, you know, everything else, um, you know, everything else was someone else's decision. Oh, so you, 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 you're you talking about there about Herbie making the call, you know, did he, what, what's, what's this got to do with the timing, for example, of a sort of with uh, Damien, is it Frawley coming in? Yeah. So, so, so this is my reading and this is just mm. my, um, my take on it. So there was a high-performance report done last year oh. of which Damien Frawley, who at that time was just a board member and a relatively new board member but very highly regarded individual, led. He made some recommendations in that. From what I'm led to understand, <laughs> I want to be careful how I say this. Mm-hmm. From what I'm led to understand... I've got a good idea what you're about to say because I've heard the same thing. <laughs> yeah. The recommendations were, were not taken on board by the board. Um and Richard was reappointed. Um, since this time, flash forward a few months, and the chairman of the time, Rod McCall, has stood down. Um, there are rumours persisting about the future of the CEO, Jim Carmichael. Um, at that same time, one of the outcomes of the high-performance report that did come to fruition is this removal of the CEO, Jim Carmichael, from the Reds Rugby and the appointment of this head of Reds Rugby being Dan Herbert. Um, which ironically is a position he held many years ago. Um, Herbie is a man of complete integrity and 
despite uh, his close association with Richard, he knew what his role was. And I suspect um, Damien Frawley and Dan Herbert were uh, the two leading um, uh, participants in this decision. Now, Frawls is in New York at the time, or at least he's overseas. Um, so uh, I believe he would no doubt been a, a big part of this, but um, but Herbie as well. So I think that's why there's a lot of people asking, how come these guys were reappointed? Well, I think the previous leadership team made that reappointment. There's now a new leadership team who reviewed it and uh, the decision has been made. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I think that is just an indictment of, of the leadership that's been there for a while. And here's, here's my reading on it as well, is this whole malarkey about, how they went through a international search, um, you know, and, and ended up with Richard Graham as the best uh, candidate. Um, you know, my understanding is they got very close to terms with different coaches, including um, uh, Matt O'Connor. So uh, my reading on all of this is that actually this, this, this was a coaching team that was in waiting anyway. And yep. then it was just, you know, how, you know, how long do we have to wait for Richard to fail? Um, which was just a crazy situation as you sat there alienating um, a whole fan base. And so now to sort of say that, well, actually, this is an interim thing and we're going to re-engage some sort of international search, to me, again, this feels like yet another – it doesn't feel like a truth. It feels like, well, hang on, haven't you got a plan? I mean, I think we're looking at the plan. Um, So we'll see what happens there. But uh, it just feels like it's yet another sort of not being fully straight um, with everybody about what's happened. I think one of the best things they could do is have a good little bit of bloodletting there. I think there's a few big heads that need to roll and then probably just come up and front up and say, yeah, mistakes were made. This is what we're doing now and this is who it is. And this is how it's happening. Um, but otherwise, because I think they've got a really dis- – I know there's been a bit of rejoicing, but I think, like I say, there's a mixture of, yeah, good there's a change, but, you know, that's not enough. You know, there were people who didn't make that change you should have. And I, I, I think everyone's seen through it. Um, so, you know, let's let's see what happens. But it's going to be tough because where you've got to now is, you know, we've had the great escape. Everybody, all the, all the big names are gone. Um, and, uh, you know, so, you know, where they go now, they've, they've got a, a, a largely disassembled pack, uh, disassembled um, uh, team. So you know what's what what happens. So I, I mean, it doesn't seem to be any easy answer. I think it's going to be a long, long year, no matter who's running the thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You've got two uh, fairly strong-willed individuals, and Matt O'Connor and Nick Styles there, who uh, are very capable. Um, it's uh, a tough situation for them to be in now. Um, Hugh, thoughts? It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, considering you're looking at look at the history of Reds rugby over the last ten years, and it's been unmitigated misery except for a period of three years <laughs> where it's been such euphoria you know the, the the ultimate peak and then you know on either side of that a good year but not a great year um and and then back to back to you know zero again it's you it's incredible the, how they could the get dynasty it years mate <laughs> yes i mean it's incredible how you know they could get it you know jim carmichael on this you know the bones of that success in 2011 could get it so right um, and then get it so wrong um, just only a few, you know, a few years afterwards. It, it's really incredible how you know, sport can be such a fickle business um, and you've only got to put one foot wrong. And ultimately the whole genesis of, of bringing Graham in 
uh, and building him up in, in Ewan McKenzie's sort of image and trying to keep that dynasty rolling. I, th- I think it was laudable, the plans, but um, obviously they haven't worked out and, and the attempts to to um, alter course of, or, or not alter course, as the case may be, ha- have been pretty disastrous, which yeah, it's, it's a real shame and no one likes it. You know, that, that was the, the, the misery. You knew that Graham couldn't last after Saturday because – not just the the players on the field, but but the crowd too. Just the sense of disappointment that hang, and, and you could you could feel it through the TV screen that that no one no one was happy with how things were going, and and it was just so disheartening. And and yeah, it doesn't matter what province it is, what what team it is. No one likes to see that that. And um, I think it was the only course of action they they could have taken. And and ultimately, it's just about riding out this season and trying to uncover a few. You know, good young players, and 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 um, you know, like the two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine kind of kind of years were, and hoping that you know, in two or three years' time, they can be back to that peak again. Yeah, indeed. Um, look, I think that's enough of that. There's been plenty of chat in the forum and on the blog and everywhere else in the rugby world. So let's move on and finish uh, the round of uh, Super Rugby. Uh, so the next game was the uh, the Rebels uh, taking on the Bulls over there in South Africa and, and, and going down big time, 45 to 25, six tries, I think, to maybe four. Um, so, uh, you know, I think there's a bit of hope for the Rebels fans of it to, uh, to maybe secure their first South African win, but it wasn't to be, Matt. What did you read of this? Yeah, I watched it, actually. Um and I mean, the, the Bulls just kind of got out to this, yeah, um, just started demolishing them. I, I can't remember what the halftime score was here, um, but they really, really, um, uh, yeah, they really started a roll on. At one stage, I thought, you know, there was going to be a bit of ebb and flow and the Rebels were going to kind of maybe uh, come back in. And literally, Adam Thompson, have you guys uh, seen this? Yes. He horrendous. Has, uh, it's, it's horrendous. He has the ball. There's no one, there's no pressure on him. He is. He is jogging over the line to put the ball down and just stone cold drops it. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Um, like I say, not under any pressure at all. And that you kind of felt was well, that was them going to make their way back into the, the game. And I think that stopped that dead. Um, they then managed to, I think so by that stage, they were like probably, I don't know, four or five tries down at half time, And then they managed to put three tries on the bounce in about a space yeah. of five or 10 minutes. Um, and, um, you, th- you know, and, but it was just a, too little, too late. Um, so I don't know. It, it didn't feel quite like a complete, to me, a complete capitulation. Um, the first half, definitely they would have wanted to forget. Uh, the second half, they made sort of a, a good comeback. Uh, people who kind of stood out to me, um, Tamati Ellison, I think, is just awesome uh, talent. And he really mm. sticks out for them. He did throw an intercept for a try, um, I must admit. But otherwise, he's just one of the few guys you can really – he's always in the right place. He always knows what to do. Um, he's got that, you know, that, that kind of that Kiwi – you know, he, he knows how to play a, a kind of a three-on-two and make it work every time. Um, and he's just got the, in, in that bustling run. Sean McMahon, who was at um, – uh, you know, who was, who was playing – he was a captain. Um, he kind of went apeshit and tried to kind of – to kind of win the game. I mean, you know, get themselves, get them back into the game just by going berserker for a while there. Um, and the other thing that came out of this game that I've got to mention, um, uh, Robert in the booth is going crazy about it, is that we we actually have a video. If you haven't seen it, you're one of the few people on, on the internet who hasn't. Um, which is, um, oh, I'm trying to remember who the guys who were. Uh, 
was it, was it the fullback managed to boot the ball into the butt of uh, was it uh, Jean Serpentine? Jean Serpentine. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> Robert saying Serpentine was presenting. Um, so anyway, it's a great little clip. You've got to watch it. Um, it the, he manages to actually kick the ball, so it's into the guy's bum while it's still kind of attached to his foot. At while. <laughs> It's 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 bizarre. I've never seen anything like it. There's a great slow motion vid, which has now had um, 358,000. Uh, it's reached 358,000 people on our Facebook page. So if you're one of the few people who haven't seen it, then have a look. It was a, it was a cracker. Up the click. <laughs> nice work, South Africa. It's, they they have to do these things to get people watching their games in Australia. So, um, the remaining matches of the round were the Stormers uh, defeating the Cheetahs twenty to ten, and the Jaguars going down to the Sharks nineteen to fifteen for their first loss in Super Rugby. Uh, it's uh, just interesting to note uh, the majority of the point scores for Australian Super Rugby teams this year for the Brumbies: Joe Tamani, Nigel Wong. Matty Tamura got a conversion. Izzy Falaus got a try for the Tars. Luke Morahan got a try. John O'Lance uh, kicked a few penalties. Ian Pryor kicked a conversion. Uh, Jonah Placid, Ben Meehan, couple, a couple of tries. James Hansen got a try for the Melbourne. There's a lot of former Red players out there scoring points. Uh, not many scoring them for the Reds. So, um, the Japanese guy. <laughs> yeah, just, we've just got that lone Japanese guy brought in for his kicking that he doesn't do. Um, all right, so that wraps us up for uh, round two. As I said, uh, interesting. Let's not get too concerned about the, the conference later just at the moment, but it is, if you look at that Australasian group, how they figure it, the Brumbies are well on top there, but there is then the Crusaders, Force, Waratahs, Chiefs and Highlanders all falling in behind there with the Sharks and Stormers and Lions all on top of the South African ladder um, for what it's worth at the moment. Um, look, let's look quickly at uh, the round coming up. Uh, and we'll just focus on the, the Aussie teams, uh, mentioning the others briefly. We've got the Blues versus the Hurricanes on uh, Friday afternoon, uh, which uh, will go on. Then, But then we've got the Force hosting the Brumbies on Friday night. Steve, uh, quick feelings on this one, mate? I reckon the Force might be reckoning they're in with a chance. Um, obviously, with the changes to the mall interpretation, the Pocock can't easily score hat-tricks, but um, you know, the Brumbies have shown they can do a few more things this year, so I reckon it'll be a pretty decent game over there in Perth. Yep, I agree. Brumbies by 40. Matt, what do you think? <laughs> um, yeah, the Brumbies should do... Oh, you know, the Force have got a great way of dragging some people down, but yeah. I think the, the yeah. Brumbies are um, are just too organised. I don't think it'll be a big, big score, but I think the Force should do it. Oh, the Brumbies should do it, sorry. All right, Hugh? Yeah, how about Steve trying to grasp the underdog message? Yeah, I know. That was terrible. <laughs> He's going to win by 80. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just more, giving everyone more. a chance. I'll just support Australian rugby. Oh, yeah. We, we all do, but the Brumbies will shit this in. This will be easy. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Highlanders host the Lions, then Lions looking for another win in New Zealand before the next local derby when the Rebels take on the Reds. Uh, Hugh, what do you think? There's this, you know, mythical... Uh, exiting coach bump when the uh, coach gets the gets the ass the the next round the the team normally wins is that any chance of happening this weekend? Um, oh look, rebels coming back from South Africa. You never know. Um, and the, look, the Reds have shown probably more against the Waratahs against the Force that a few glimpses that they can put something together. Um, I'd have to say they're underdogs, and and I wouldn't have them. But um, look. This is a big game for the Rebels. They really need to prove that they are, 
you know, a, 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 a force to be reckoned with. I mean, they won against in Perth, and there was a pretty inept performance by them in Pretoria. And I think they need to really come and have a strong win at home here to to um, nail their colours to the mast and show that they can potentially, you know, challenge for that Australian conference. And you know, a loss here would be a real blow to them. So I'm I'm, I'm predicting they're going to come out, and they've got um, plenty to play for. So I'll tip the Rebels by 15. Uh, what do you reckon, Steve? Yeah, I think the Rebels will get this one at home, but the, you know, there's a couple of injury concerns around them. Uh, I think you know, Harris out for a while now, and I think Reese Hodge um, pulled out early before the uh, Bulls game. And if they really want to make sure they're going to win, they need to do something about their kicking because Deborah Sini last week was missing some fairly handy shots in Pretoria. So, um, and that probably denied them a, a, a miraculous comeback last week. So, it sorts a few things out. Um, hopefully, Tony McGann's given them a good rev up and see how they go. Maddie, what's your tip, mate? Um, I've got no cliches that I can use because you uh, used all of them in his, his preview of this game. Um, yeah, I just, Rebels uh, looked really good to me, actually, and I think they made a few too many mistakes um, over in South Africa that I think they might have learnt from. So I'm going to say the Rebels on this one. Yeah, I think the Rebels will win too. Unfortunately, I don't think the, the change for the Reds will have much um, impact on this. I think the Rebels uh, are travelling, will come back a stronger team. Um Sunwolves host the Cheetahs. Uh, so that must be, oh no, that's their second game, hosting game, the Sunwolves. Um, Kings host the Chiefs and then the Stormers and the Sharks um, over there with the uh, the Waratahs having the bye, which uh, works quite fortuitously for them with uh, Big Tolalatu getting suspended for um, one game and will now miss the, was it an Big actual game. game or just a trial game this weekend? So... Well done to Talu Latu. Um, look, plenty of news this week. Uh, the Reds is a big one, but uh, Vegas, baby, Vegas. You, you're our resident sevens expert. Um, on the on the back of the Sydney success, this was a pretty fantastic tournament as well. Yeah, it was. We we really um, put a pretty good performance on the on the field, and I think we had a pretty soft pull in the end. We put England yeah. to the sword, but England ended up coming dead last, I think, in the tournament, which. Um, you know, obviously had a lot of injury issues there, but came through um, pretty fortuitously against the Springboks or the Blitzbok, I think they are. Can um, I, that the... was an amazing game of sevens. That was one of the most dramatic sevens games I've seen. <laughs> Two penalty tries to <laughs> Two Australians. Two penalty tries. Jesus. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and um, look, in the final, starting starting strong, but um, being run down by uh, a Fijian side in bizarre conditions with the wind... Um, Really, um, I can't use a cliche here, unfortunately. The <laughs> blowing gale, mate. Look, it, it was um, it was very big. Um, it's very strong. So um, it was it was it was tough. And and in the end, the Fijians probably coped better with it than we did. And uh, a few length of the field tries really broke our heart. And and um, and yeah, look, a lot of talk around Quade Cooper, and I thought he. Um, he looked like a sevens player, and I think that's the best you could say. It's a pretty high compliment in his first tournament. Um, we all thought he might, uh, there might be some teething problems, and and there were a few, but uh, ultimately I, I think he came through well. He wasn't a standout, particularly um, either good or bad. His passing game was pretty solid. A few key errors in that final, but he, I don't think he was alone there. And um, I think he, he's um, 
he, he showed himself to be a, a, a really good asset for our team. And Tom Kingston came through well. Pat McCutcheon did well. And, and there's some really um, big selection dilemmas now looking moving into Rio with a lot on the line. And, and certainly it looks like a guy like Henry Spate um, might be on the outer. So interesting. And, and um, Vancouver this week, we've got another easy pull. And, and who knows? Um, maybe we can chalk up a win and, and really um, get our campaign rolling. Yeah, look, I thought Quaid looked the best of the uh, of any of the the I guess the traditional Super Fifteen players so far from Australia. Um, and uh, yeah, his passing games were real asset. I, I think he felt the um, the fatigue factor of those last couple of games. Um, interesting. Moving ahead to, to Canada, there's some interesting selections. I mean, there's a I made the note in the forum. There's a whole bunch of playmakers. Jesse Holland's back, and Stannard's back. And Cooper's still there. Um, so the balance of the team will be interesting. They've got some uh, Connor Mitchell from University of Queensland who played for New South Wales. Oh, sorry, Queensland Country last year on the side of the scrum in the NRC will be making his debut. And John Porch, the the speedster, I think he played for the Rams in the NRC. Lightning had one tournament earlier this year, um, I think in New Zealand, but uh, he's back in the team as well. So really loving the sevens at the moment. Getting into it, Matt. Do you do you watch it much? Yeah, well, I mean, I went to the Sydney one, Sydney, of course, um, did, yeah. and it was which was great. I mean, I mean, it's how do you read this, right? So, was it is it two tournaments in a row? We've managed to get to the final, get to a lead, yeah. and get chased down. And I guess you've got to ask, is this us? <laughs> which which way do you read it? Is this something that we're going to get into a habit of uh, blowing up, or is this actually something you learn from? And I I tend to think it's the latter. You know, if um, you know, first of all, you figure out how to get yourself into a final, and then you figure out how you're going to, you know, how do you close one out? And um, you know, we've had a couple of shots now, and you know, it's it, well, it's it's definitely better having been there um, and having had that learning than not making it through the pool, which we're kind of used to. So I mean, I, it feels like it's progress. I think it's progress, Steve. The, you know, you guys ditched the current coach of the Wallaby uh, of the Aussie Sevens team is the last coach to be ditched after two games. Andy Friend, he's uh, seems to be doing an all right job with the boys. Yeah, he had a pretty limited preparation before um, Sydney, obviously, but I guess, you know, you've got to better to find out who your depth is now than uh, have people go down just before the Olympics, which is the main goal this year. So good mix of players there and hopefully they can do well. And I just had a quick look at the pool. We've got um, Russia, Canada and Wales. Yeah, okay, yeah, so like you say, that easy, but we'll see how that comes back on the tail end. But uh, loving the sevens at the moment, good to watch. Um, a bit of quick news, I think we just coming through the wires, there's rumours of Kurtley Beale off to France, uh, hot in the heel of Mikey Harris off to France, oh, off to the UK at least somewhere. Uh, Steve, it, uh, this, this uh, loss of players has to be a concern, don't you think, particularly in these key positions? Yeah, there's... Um... A lot of big money, obviously, over in the UK, and you know, some of the money is, is quite obscene to what we're used to. So, but um, having said that, you know, it's good to see the Brumbies have been able to retain Scotty Seo and um, the up-and-coming prop Alan Alatoa. So, in the, especially in those key positions in the prop. So, um, you know, money talks, and I guess some players have obviously been lured by the big dollars or euros, pounds, whatever they're after over there. So, wait and see how that plays out. Significantly, I think Beal played his 60th cap in the World Cup final, so uh, mm-hmm. just sneaks in there from an eligibility perspective. But, I mean, I mean, if, he, if, if he thought it was a, if, if we thought it was a train smash, him going to the bloody Melbourne. I mean, what's it going to be like over in France? I mean, yeah. talk, talk about lack of support structure. Wait, did, well, did, does it say which club? Kurtley Beal's going to Wasp, which is oh, um, yeah. okay. old mate uh, Danny, Danny, Danny Cipriani. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong there? 
Oh my god. Okay. That's a Can I also just, just say that one day I really hope to see two these two players play in the same team. Alan Ala Alatoa and Alan Fa'a Alavao, um, <laughs> the sevens team. Can we, can we make those two people, you know, give them a run in the centres together, please, just once? And who's, who's, the, yeah. <laughs> and who's the commentator that we get at the same time? <laughs> who, Reg, come on, sure. <laughs> the king of pronunciations. No, just give me Joe Timone. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, uh, I think that pretty much wraps up the news. The, the under twenties comp continues. The uh, the Reds had a big win on the weekend over the Force, so uh, uh, we're clinging on to them. We've all focused on the under twenties this year for the Queensland Rugby. Uh, some very uh, extreme talent there, including the big man Taniella Tupo scored another two tries on the weekend. Nice, strong power tries. Um, I also should mention up here. I don't know what she, she was still uh, a um, trials. Steve, Premier Rugby down there. What's what's happening? Anything happening in Canberra? Um, I don't know to be honest. Um, I know that they usually the season starts a little bit later than most because of yeah. the, uh, lesser teams. So I think they're still maybe uh, maybe after Easter. I think things will start kicking off. So uh, the uh, true grassroots rugby Queensland Premier Rugby starts this weekend round one with brothers playing Norths. Um, in the first game, University taking on South, the 2015 Premiers uh, South, so that'll be a cracker. Bond are taking on East, Bond University down in the Gold Coast with host Easts, and Sunnybank are taking on Jeeps, um, which is an old boys' day for Sunnybank. So up here in Brisbane at least and down the Gold Coast, get out there and support your club rugby. Um, anything else to add, guys? Anything needs to be brought up? Matt, I'm going yeah, to throw you last. Yeah, Hugh? Do I get to talk my shoot shields? Is yes. Bob Dwyer's just absolutely giving it, giving it to uh, my side of the argument? Um, yep. I don't get a right of reply, do I? For the, for the rebuttal, Hugh Cavill. He was very <laughs> balanced, Hugh. I don't think you've got anything to worry about. Oh, look, it, it is balanced. And, and, and that's, that's the whole point of it. I think there is a middle ground here that, that um, probably we, we need to look at. And, um, you know, it's copped a bit of flack on Facebook. Weirdly enough, from a couple of current Shoot Shield players, would you believe? So uh, I think there's a once again a case of um, agendas and, and people speaking from um, from their own experiences and, and, and from their own perspectives, which which I suppose is, is um, what Australian rugby is about. But um, it just shows you the, the challenges that the RU face um, dealing with with that part of rugby, and, and they're powerful and they're loud, and, and um, they certainly want uh, to be have a, have a Biggest seat at the table, I suppose, have a, have a larger role to play, and and um, I think I encourage anyone to have a look at my article and and see what you think. And look, we've got some great comments there on the um on the article for some from, from some pretty reasonable people. And I think the key to the issue is it, rugby is a national game now, and and um, there's a lot uh, that goes on beyond the shoot shield and beyond Premier Rugby um, around the country. So um, it just shows you how challenging it is for the RU, and no one's saying that we should get rid of the shoot shield or, or Premier Rugby. It's still a really valuable part of our game. It's just a question of how the RU should be um, spending its money. But, um, yeah, massive issue, and, and um, it's one that's not going to go away, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, if it's any consolation, I can tell you that I spoke to a few people in Clubland up here in Brisbane, and they thought it was a very balanced article. Um, but as you say there, it's not going to go away, and I also know they are starting to take things in their own hands with the ARU, um, uh, uh, you know, bypassing the QRU at the moment. There's some huge frustrations there. 
Mm. And, and that's and that's the issue that probably hasn't been mentioned. Is a few of the comments pointed out that in in Brett Papworth's missives and some of the commentary that the role of the state bodies has been overlooked here mm. in South Wales and Queensland, who actually are the ones with with the you know the uh, administration over these over these competitions. So um, yeah, that just shows you the the, the nuances that that um. There, you know, there are so many nuances to all of these discussions that, um, yeah, the, the five-year plan hopefully will come out soon and, and we can sink our teeth into that and see, see what happens. Um, excellent. Well, great article, Hugh, and, yes, we encourage everyone to go read that. Matt, I'm going to uh, throw to you. I'll close, but if you have a final word, I think it's appropriate for this significant moment. No, I guess um, I'm sure you're going to do it anyway, Reg, but just to thank everybody who's been along for the ride. I know we've got – I think we've got a pretty loyal – uh, little cabal of people who listen and download and whatever else and um, always love it when we get your comments and your suggestions and, and, and whatever else. We're always trying to think about how we can do things differently and better. But um, no matter what, we just appreciated you guys being along for the ride um, and we hope you enjoy our wanging on as much as we enjoy doing it. Yep, exactly right, Matt. Well said. I, I guess I've got two points to close off on is uh, – no, we will definitely not be doing any video podcasts. It seems to come up as a request every now and again. Um, other no one wants to see our faces, and we're not quite Radio there. Radio faces, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> and uh, my final point is, Bobus, enjoy editing this one together. Um, it's a long one, but uh, well worth it for episode two hundred. So, uh, Matt, thanks for your leadership and your um, uh, over these last few years, but also your presence on the show tonight. Thanks, mate. Well, thanks everybody else for joining in. It's been great. Yep, Hugh, uh, a long and loyal contributor to the site. Thank you. Thanks, Reg. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Steve. Great effort. And yeah, thank. And how good are those levels, Bobus? I mean, it's, oh, it's <laughs> just yeah, so pressure. Bobus last, and Steve, <laughs> loving life down in Canberra there. Yeah, I'll just say this. Hopefully, this podcast is better than that infamous New Zealand one. But uh, th- those who are long-time listeners will know what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the green and gold rugby drinking game where you had to drink every time someone said rugby. <laughs> um, thanks for your support tonight, Bobus. Thanks, everyone, for listening and joining us on 200. And here's to our another 200. We'll Goodbye. see you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Right there, right there.